Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the book of Philippians, where we are going to start looking at the letters generated by the Apostle Paul during the time he was awaiting his imperial review at Rome. Now, he arrived in the very early months of 61, more than likely March of 61. And Luke, in wrapping up his book of Acts, says this, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. So it would appear that Dr. Luke finished his book of Acts sometime in the very early months of 63. Now, it is suspected, and I think properly so, that Paul's case was settled shortly after Dr. Luke penned those words. And we will get to the potential itinerary uh, for Paul's post uh, Roman experience later. But this is what most likely happened to generate this first letter of Paul's time in Rome. Once the word got out that Paul had been transferred from the Holy Land, that is from Caesarea in Judea province, to the capital city of Rome, at least one town where the church felt strongly in support of the Apostle Paul sent financial assistance to him there. Because, as we just heard from Dr. Luke, uh, as he is waiting for the bureaucratic uh, mill to complete its process, he is having to foot the bill for where he's staying in Rome. He has to pay for the food that's coming into his uh, place of residence. Uh, not just simply for himself, but for any of the visitors that are coming in to him. And he's having a lot of visitors because he's basically turning this into like his own little home church, his home little, his own little home uh, Bible college. So he's got a lot of people coming in and going out uh, from his place in Rome. And he's paying the bills for that. And he doesn't have the capability of going out on the economy and working as a tent maker because he is under this detention situation where he has to stay at a specific address chained to a Roman soldier uh, day in and day out. And so that's his situation. And the church at Philippi responded by sending him some cash. And that prompts Paul to write this letter. Now, when was it written? My suspicion is it's likely to have been written sometime in 61, uh, while uh, this was all fairly fresh and new. But it could be written in 
his second year of detention, that is in 62, where maybe his lawyers are saying, well, your case should be coming around before too much longer, and then maybe you'll be able to travel again. So sometime during the two years that Dr. Luke mentions at the end of the book of Acts, 61 or 62. Philippians chapter number 1, verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. So clearly, uh, Timothy is caught up with him now. We knew that Timothy was traveling to Jerusalem with the Apostle Paul uh, whenever he ended up being uh, grabbed in the riot. Uh, But we don't know where Timothy's been during the rest of this time. Maybe he was spending time at Caesarea when Paul was in detention there. But now he's traveled to Rome, and Paul is looking at him as a partner in his ministry work there. Uh, The letter is then addressed to all the saints, that's all the believers, all the holy ones, the Christians, in Christ Jesus who are at or in Philippi, that's in Macedonia, including the episcopois, the the episcopal people, that is, the overseers, and the diakonos, the deacons or deaconesses as well. Uh, So the overseers would be like the spiritual leaders of the church at Philippi, uh, the preachers, the teachers, the elders, if you will, the shepherds of the church, And the deacons, the diakonoi, the deaconesses and deacons, they take care of the physical stuff, evidently. They're probably the ones making sure that food gets distributed to the poor members, uh, that sick people are visited, and things of that nature. So the leadership is greeted, the service people are greeted, and the people as a whole are greeted by the Apostle Paul. Verse 2, his typical uh, good wishes. Grace to you, that's charis, the normal way that Greek writers start their letters, and peace, erene, or the Hebrew equivalent would be shalom, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's still doing that two worlds thing, uh, Greek and Hebrew. I thank my God in all my remembrances of you. Again, this is kind of typical in the letters we've seen so far of him. He addresses the people. He uh, puts the grace and peace of God upon the people. And then he tells them, I am so thankful to God about you. And I talk to God about you all the time. So I thank my God in all my remembrances of you always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Uh, Participation as in the koinonia, the fellowship of what's been going on uh, in the gospel work of the Apostle Paul. Uh, We know that Philippi was the first significant church established in Europe by the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey. He didn't spend an awful lot of time there, 
but is it is clear that he made good connections with these people and they have been sending money to him ever since uh, it was from Philippi uh, that uh, Timothy was able to bring uh, cash gifts to the Apostle Paul to let him start preaching full-time at Corinth later on the missionary journeys of Paul. So he continues by saying, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it, bring it to maturity until the day of Christ Jesus. So he's already thinking about the second coming of Jesus and how he anticipates that what started with the Philippian believers is just going to get better and better. It's going to become more and more mature. It's going to become more and more beneficial to the people they have connection with, touch with, uh, right up until Jesus brings it all to a close by coming back again. Verse number seven For it is only right for me to feel this way about you, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment, now the word is literally bond, and it's a reference to the fact that he is in detention, chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, He is not sitting in a jail cell in a prison somewhere. He is in his own rented property, possibly In fact, I'd say more than likely some sort of apartment complex uh, in the capital city of Rome. But he is chained to a Roman uh, soldier and is limited in his ability to travel around. And so he says, he reminds them that uh, I've been feeling this way about you uh, because both in my bonds or my imprisonment, and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. You all are partakers of grace with me. So we'll find out later that they sent financial support to him, not once, but several times. Uh, In this most recent thing, they actually sent somebody with the letter to run errands for the Apostle Paul. And uh, they're also praying for him on a regular basis. So the Philippian church is very big in assisting Paul in his ministry movement. And so that's why he is so gracious and thankful toward them. Verse 8, For God is my witness, how I long for you, uh, you all with the affection or the uh, the um, it's about the um, emotional response uh, of Christ Jesus. So he has an emotional attachment to them uh, when he thinks about them and when he prays about them. Uh, verse 9, in this I pray, that your love, your agape, your godlike love, may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve. And the wording here is not that they're like um, deciding whether or not uh, uh, these things are, are the proper things to do. It is proving that they this is the way you should do things, 
So uh, I may, that you may approve the things that are excellent in order that uh, to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. There's that thought about the second coming of Jesus again, that these guys are just going to keep on being such supporters of the gospel, such supporters of the apostle, such supporters of Christian behavior and lifestyle, uh, that it will just shine for Jesus until the day Jesus shines for us at his second coming. Verse 11, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, multiple times Paul has written about the fruit that comes up into a person's life because of their attachment to Jesus Christ, because of their being filled with the Holy Spirit. And so that is what he's got in mind here again, that the Philippian believers are excellent examples of Spirit-filled, active people of faith. And so they have the fruit of the Spirit, which I always like to refresh your mind about. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That describes the Philippian people that Paul is so thankful to have this partnership uh, in the gospel with. Verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Uh, what are the circumstances? That he has been under uh, detention first in Caesarea, in Judea, for two years, two plus years. And now, for whatever time has occurred since uh, this letter uh, has been generated, in Rome. So, could be three years or so. Uh, that he has not been able to travel on other missionary journeys. But it's okay, he says, because you know what? The gospel's still going out. Let me tell you how, specifically here. Verse 13, so that my imprisonment or my bond, my chains, uh, in the cause of Christ have become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Now, when Paul arrived in Rome, he was arriving as a Roman citizen whose case had not yet been determined, but he had appealed for Caesar to review his case for proper disposition disposition. So he has not been condemned for anything. He is not under any sort of punishment. As I already said, he is not sitting away in some sort of jail cell because he's a criminal. He is actually uh, a person is still under investigation and is somewhat detained. Now it's his detainment that he says has really worked as an evangelistic tool. Because he has to have a Roman soldier chained to him all day long. 
And so these guys are going to come in shifts, probably four-hour shifts. It could be less than, I suppose, or, or excuse me, a little bit more than that. But I would imagine probably four-hour shifts. Now, the Praetorian Guard is uh, the group of soldiers uh, at stationed at Rome who are considered to be the bodyguards of the capital and of the emperor at the capital. Uh, they have a barracks uh, just outside the north, uh, I think it's the northeast side of the city walls. Uh, and their people come into the different assignments they have inside the city each day. Now, I became aware recently of something I did not know before, and that is that the Praetorian Guard was the only Roman soldiers who did not wear uniforms when on duty. They wore civilian clothing uh, so that they could move around more freely uh, inside the walls of the capital without it looking like some sort of, of military uh, presence within the walls. And so I would imagine that that would be the case for each of these soldiers that comes to the apostle, that they're probably in a toga. Uh, they're wearing a sword, that's true, uh, and they do get chained to him, that's true as well, uh, but they are not there as some sort of scary presence uh, for any of the people that are coming and visiting back and forth with the Apostle Paul. And they really don't have that big of a, of a hard job here because the Apostle Paul is not trying to run away. Uh, the Apostle Paul's case also seems to be pretty clear-cut that the moment his case is reviewed, he will be declared innocent and released from custody. And so that makes it most likely that these Roman soldiers see this as a cushy assignment. Uh, now, they already themselves are considered among the elite. Uh, the Praetorian Guard was drawn only from Italy. So these guys are all Italians. They only got into this position by recommendation of highly placed members of society, uh, kind of like uh, letters of appointment to West Point or the Air Force Academy or something like that. Uh, and they got really good pay compared to the soldiers on the, on the frontier lines. Uh, they got like pay and a half as their, I think the, the bottom uh, entry-level pay was pay and a half compared to the entry-level soldiers uh, out in the fringes. And so Paul says everybody is knowing about Jesus thanks to these soldiers that keep rotating through my presence. And no doubt some of them have come to believe in Jesus. Verse 14, and that most of the brethren, that is, believers in Jesus here at Rome, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment or because of my bonds, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. 
So Paul says, I'm setting a good example of what you need to do, regardless of the cost, on behalf of Jesus Christ. And so more and more people are being emboldened by the work of the Apostle Paul. Now, he does mention this, though. Verse 15, some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. So he does have his problem, people. Um, These people are probably some of them from the uh, Judaizer side of the equation. They don't like the Apostle Paul because he's not insisting that Gentiles need to become Jewish in order to be saved. And so they are trying to stir the pot against the Apostle Paul. And And he's aware of that. So he says, some of them are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. So some people have become preachers because they want to do just like the Apostle Paul. Verse 16, the latter do it out of love, out of this commitment to people, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So some of them are filling in the gap where the Apostle Paul can't go out and visit all the different neighborhoods of Rome or visit the different regions of the Italian peninsula and beyond. Uh, So they're filling in the gaps on behalf of the Apostle Paul uh, to let the gospel get out there. Uh, But uh, it's the other ones that are the problem. He says the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment or in my bonds. Now, how are they doing that? It's hard to tell exactly how they're managing to cause the Apostle Paul more trouble, other than perhaps when they preach and teach, they try to use Paul as a negative example. This is not how to do it. This guy's got bad ideas about uh, how to be a believer in Jesus. Uh, But the Apostle Paul has a um, half-full glass approach to this situation. He says in verse 18, Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is being proclaimed. So, Jesus is being talked about. Even these troublemakers are still talking about Jesus dying for sin and rising again for our justification. So, he says, Christ is being proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of of Jesus Christ. So he says, guys, some of these people are causing me trouble. They're doing it on purpose, but it's okay because I know it'll all work out in the end. He, he takes his own Romans 8.28 approach to this. All things work together for good to those who love God, who are the called according to his purposes. So he says, I know that Jesus is being talked about, and I'm good with that. I also know this. I know you and other congregations all over the known world 
You're praying that everything will turn out for me to get released after my imperial review. And you're also taking part in providing for the gospel. And I think there's a little bit of a reference there to them having sent him a financial gift to help foot some of the bill of him being here waiting for his imperial review. But it's all for Jesus Christ. It's all for the gospel. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Uh, So he's now going to kind of deal with the outside possibility that maybe things won't turn out physically for him. I mean, the guy that's on the throne right now, his name is Nero. He's a young man. He's, he's barely in his 20s at this point. And uh, he has recently been engaging in some things that are a little questionable as to whether or not he's on top of things mentally. And so the reality is that Paul could go in front of Nero, and uh, Nero might, out of some sort of peak on that particular day, decide to just condemn him to death. And there'd be nothing that the Apostle Paul could do about that because he appealed to the decision of the emperor. But Paul is basically saying, you know, I hope to be released, but guess what? It won't even matter if I end up being executed because Jesus Christ is my Lord. And the gospel is going to be proclaimed whether I'm doing it alive or whether people continue doing it after I'm dead. Uh, And so he says in verse 21, and this is where we'll start uh, next session, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So having this physical life, he'll do the ministry work. But if he ends up dying, he'll go into the presence of Jesus Christ.